The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. We're going to get into God's Word. Uh, we're going to be looking this morning at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, reading from 27 to 31. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. Let's pray. Father, we want to commit the, uh, the teaching of your word to you this morning. May uh, you be glorified in this. Father, may we recognize the authority of your word and how wonderful your word is. So, so God, please be with me as I, as I preach. My request, Lord, is that anything that is of me, that is a, a personal thought of mine that doesn't come from your word, my request, Lord, is that uh, that would be quickly forgotten. That would be like a mist that disappears. But Lord, any word that is yours... May your words sink deep into our hearts. May your words be big in our lives, Lord. Amen. The message of Christianity is that Jesus holds out something spectacular for each of us. And what he holds out to us is just quite simply better than anything that you and I could achieve or plan out on our own. Jesus is just so wonderful. He came to earth to live the life that we could not live. He died the death that we deserved so that we could find that our purpose in life is not actually to serve our own interests, to serve ourselves, but rather to bring glory to God. And that might not sound like good news, but the great teaching of God's word is that when we live a life that is obedient to what he calls us to, it ends up working out really well for us. So well, in fact, that even in the hardest, most crucial, most frustrating and difficult circumstances, having a relationship with Jesus outshines all other things. We've been in a short series for the last four weeks, talking about marriage. And as we finish up this series, it's, it's important now uh, that, to place what we've been saying about marriage in perspective alongside what life looks like for those who aren't married. And in the same way that I've been asking those who are single in our church to please pay attention to everything that we've been teaching about marriage, now I'm going to ask those in our church who are married to please pay attention to everything that we have to that the Bible says now about singleness. It's really important for everybody to hear this. There are many of us who are currently not married for a range of different reasons. And you might be thinking to yourself, where do I fit? 
We've been talking about marriage as being this beautiful thing that points us towards Jesus. And we might ask, what, what if I'm not married? What do I point to? What is my purpose here? And the answer, as we'll see, is that you also have a supreme role in telling the story of Christ with your life. To give a bit of a recap of the last few weeks, in week one, we said that marriage has been instituted by God for his glory and for our good, and therefore we should not attempt to edit it or to remake it into our own image or what we want it to be. In week two, we said that marriage is, uh, is, is a portrait that both the husband and the wife are painting, and that portrait is of the union between Christ and the church. And then in week three, we said that marriage is about, as we paint that portrait, the way we do that is by helping our spouse become more and more like Jesus. And the way we do that is by becoming more and more like Jesus ourselves. And today we're going to be looking at singleness, and we're going to be looking at these few verses from 1 Corinthians 7. Now this chapter, 1 Corinthians 7, is dense and complex, kind of like the rest of 1 Corinthians, and we're not nearly going to have time to look at every single thing in this whole chapter. However, a lot of the crucial themes that Paul introduces in 1 Corinthians 7 have lines, essentially, that you can trace them. They have threads that run through these verses that we're looking at today. And so we're going to be looking at these verses as a bit of a snapshot into what the teaching of the writer of the chapter teaches us, basically. My encouragement, though, is have 1 Corinthians 7 open in front of you. Keep that in mind as we go. The first thing we find Paul saying here is that marriage isn't everything. Paul says, are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. Now, that might sound like a bit of a contradiction, especially coming from Paul, who holds marriage in such high esteem, particularly as we looked at a couple of weeks ago in Ephesians 5. But it's actually not a contradiction at all. While he holds marriage highly as a sacred institution, he does not want his readers to think that marriage is everything and that being married, married is the most important thing in life. In fact, he says earlier in verse 7, I wish that all were as I myself am, single. Now, for many of us, we will find that a bit difficult to, to agree with Paul on that issue. We might reply to him, like, yeah, sure, of course, Paul. Like, marriage isn't everything, but it kind of is. And the reason why we might think that way is not just because of the deep and good desire that so many of us have to love and be loved, but also because we are part of a world whose temperature is so inclined towards romantic union that romance itself forms its own subgenre in just about every single art form, whether it's movies and TV or the theatre or books or music or poetry, romantic love is one of the most dominant themes. And so one of the clearest messages that we hear in the world is you'll only be fulfilled and happy if you find the right person that you'll spend the rest of your life with. And if you don't find that person, then there's something wrong with you. Therefore, finding the right person and getting married to them has got to be one of life's highest priorities. Now, this becomes especially difficult when we have that attitude in the church. For many, 
Marriage is regarded to be the epitome of Christian living. And many have felt that they will miss out on some kind of extra special experience of the Christian life if they're not married. And if that's you, if you think that way, you'll end up making an idol out of being married. And this becomes really tricky. It becomes really difficult. If you think marriage is everything and you don't get married, then you're doomed to live in despair. And if you think that marriage is everything and you do get married, you'll end up crushing your spouse under the weight of the expectations on them to be everything for you. And either way, you're going to end up being angry at God. I've got too many friends who have fallen into this trap. I know people who believe, have believed so strongly that marriage is everything and they've got to have it that they're willing to marry absolute duds just for the sake of being married. For some, the pull towards being married was so strong that they compromised and married someone who doesn't share their love for Jesus. And so being unequally yoked, they struggled and pulled against their spouse and they chafed until they finally walked away from God altogether. This is a difficult thing. This is why Paul's words are so vital. The Bible actually teaches us, actually, no, being married is not everything. It is true that marriage points towards the gospel, but single, singleness also points towards the gospel in ways that marriage can't. We looked at this in week two of our series where we said that the union between husband and wife mirrors the union between Christ and the church. But singleness also mirrors that same union by expressing the church's expectant hope as she eagerly waits for Christ's return. This is what uh, the, the teacher and the author Sam Albury says. Both marriage and singleness point to the gospel. The former reflects its shape, the latter its sufficiency. So if marriage paints a portrait of Christ and the church, singleness expresses the immense hope of Christ for the church. For Paul, being single was not an inferior alternative to marriage. It actually greatly enabled him to do effective ministry without having his devotion to the Lord divided. So reading from verse 32, a little bit further beyond our text, he says, The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit, but the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. You see, the concern of Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 is not actually to express how singleness fits into the kingdom of God, because according to Paul, single people were already part of the program. He's saying that when it comes to doing what God has called us to do, those who are single are well ahead compared to those who are married. Those who are single don't have have to divide their attention and their affections between God and someone else. This is incredibly practical and honest insight. Speaking from my experience as a husband, I strongly resonate with what Paul is saying here. When your desire is to serve the Lord wholeheartedly, it becomes a lot more complex when you're married. It's not just me committing to the Lord, me making sacrifices to the Lord and serving the Lord from myself. I have my wife to think about, and she has me to think about. It becomes more complex. Being married can easily consume your life. And if you're single, 
you've got a lot more freedom at your disposal to be fully devoted to doing what the Lord has for you. Paul wants to secure undivided devotion from his readers to the Lord. And he's just being straight up honest that people who are single have one less and very significant thing to think about when it comes to that. See, what Paul is doing here is he is championing championing singleness as a practical alternative to marriage that has enormous benefits. In the face of a world that so highly prizes romantic love as the highest pursuit and the meaning of life, the Bible says, no, not really. Now, there's a few caveats here. We've got to make a few mention of a few things. Firstly, Paul isn't promoting singleness because of the personal benefits. He's not saying singleness is great. You get to sleep in. You get to stay out late at night without telling somebody where you are. Your money, your bank account is your bank account. You get to spend it however you want. You don't have to say, hey, is it okay if I go and buy this PlayStation 5 or whatever it is at the moment? You don't have to do these things. You can just live however you want. Your life is yours to live. That's not what Paul is saying. He's saying that the benefit of being an unmarried person isn't so that you're free to serve your own purposes, but that you're freed up to serve God's purposes. The world might champion the single life because of all that you can do for yourself, but the Bible champions the single life for all that you can do for others. The second caveat follows from that, and is that being single means that you're able to serve more, not that you're expected to serve more. So just in case you're concerned about this, if you're single, you're not going to get a knock on the door from me this week saying, hey, so you heard what I said on Sunday? Cool, can you now serve like three or four times a month? And you know, that'd be really, really great since you've got all this time on your hands. That's not what I'm saying at all. Actually, you're in a position that many married people wish they were in to be able to serve others. The third caveat is that this doesn't give permission for married couples to not serve or to use their spouse as an, as an excuse for getting out of service when actually what's going on is that you're just being a bit self-centered. And I'm put my head, my, I put my hand up for that one. I need to hear that one myself. The teaching of God's word here is not that singleness is a substandard alternative to marriage. It's not illegitimate. It's not to be disdained. There is nothing deficient about the single life. If there was something deficient about the single life, that would mean then for our Lord who was the perfect human and who perfectly fulfilled the calling of being human was and still is deficient because he was single. Paul's teaching that the single life brings with it opportunities for serving one another that aren't readily available to those who are married. This is why he calls singleness a gift. It's not just a gift to the person, it's a gift to the church, it's a gift to the kingdom of God. The world says, Marriage is everything. The Bible says, actually, it's not. And so we've got to ask the question then, why? What do you mean, Paul? Like, what what if I have a deep desire to be married? Well, Paul answers that question by pointing to the only thing that can truly fulfill those deepest longings in our heart. He says from verse 29, this is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. 
Now that seems like a total change of subject to what we're talking about. But it's right there in the middle of Paul's teaching on marriage and singleness. And therefore it's vital for us to understand what he means as he teaches us about marriage and singleness. You see, the track with what Paul is saying here, to, to see why he's able to say that singleness is a gift and enormously beneficial and a practical alternative to marriage, we need to have the same view as Paul does on eternity. It's sometimes hard to keep track of where we are in the grand scheme of things. I find it really hard to remember that I'm not the center of the universe, and nor is the time that I live in the central fulcrum on which all of world history pivots. Like, don't get me wrong, I think we live in an important time, I just don't think we're at the center of it right now. And something that every healthy Christian does is they keep an eye on eternity. A healthy Christian regularly reflects and meditates on the phenomenal grand scheme of eternity and the God who rules over eternity and in eternity and through eternity. Every now and then we'll come across a Christian who we might say is so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. You might remember that phrase. While that can be a problem, I think that's pretty rare these days. Far more common is the problem of being so earthly minded that you're no earthly good. Such people live as if, there is, as if this life is all there is. They must spend every moment and every resource and use every person to squeeze out all the pleasure that they can grab because you only get one life. You've got to make it count. But Paul teaches us that this world is passing away. And if you can frame your marital status in light of that, you'll see marriage and singleness for what it truly is. He's picking up, you see, when Paul teaches us, he's picking up on a theme that he started in verse 17, where he commands each individual in the church to live as they were called and not to seek some other way of life. What he's saying is we shouldn't become overly consumed and driven with trying to make this life better or make this life more comfortable for ourselves or really try to change our circumstances. That shouldn't be the thing that drives us. Why? Because, as he says, the present form of this world is passing away. And what comes after is something spectacular. And the volume of that something should be turned right up in our lives, especially as it pertains to being married or not. <clears throat> that something is what Revelation 19 refers to as the wedding supper of the Lamb. It's the ultimate wedding to end all weddings where Jesus Christ will finally and forever be united to his bride, the church, and those who are invited are called the blessed ones. It will be the wedding to end all weddings. It will be the union to end all unions. And Jesus Christ, who is waiting for his wedding day, will finally and forever be united with his people, such that they can never be separated. That wedding day is the ultimate goal of all history. It's what everything the Bible, it's everything in the entire Bible looks forward to and anticipates. And Paul is pointing us towards that day saying, we're almost there. And when we do get there, we won't remember what we missed out on in this life. Every single thing when we get there will be outshone by the glory of Jesus Christ. A couple of weeks ago, uh, our family went down to SeaWorld for a couple of days. And it's a two-hour drive. And I've got a four-year-old, and so of course the question that we fielded most often was, are we there yet? When are we going to get there? 
and his poor little four-year-old mind couldn't comprehend what two hours felt like. And so he would say, how much longer? And we would say, we could say 10 minutes or 16 hours. None of it mattered to him. It seemed like eternity to him, even though we made a couple of pit stops on the way, including Yat Lapias. It was fantastic, really great holiday. We get like that, don't we? Our minds so often think that our life on this earth is an eternity. But Paul is kind of like our dad in the front seat saying, don't fret about your life now. We're going to be at SeaWorld soon. And you won't remember how long the drive was. You're just going to be overwhelmed by the joy of roller coasters and polar bears and fairy penguins. And knowing that this wedding day is coming and that you're going to get to see Jesus and be with him forever puts both marriage and singleness into perspective. Marriage and singleness, they're not nothing. They, point, they both point forward to and anticipate that ultimate wedding day, that ultimate union. Marriage says, this is a foretaste of what it will be like. And singleness says, I can't wait for it. For so many married people, they fear that they're missing out on what the single life offers. And for so many single people, they fear that they're missing out on what the married life offers. But regardless of whether you're married in this life or not, if you're in Christ, you're not going to miss out. And that should be the thing that defines you. Paul is saying, if you're married, that's great. But don't let that define you. If you're single, don't buy the lie that you're nothing until you get hitched. This is why the gospel is just so liberating. Because those who believe the gospel never miss out. Why? Because those who believe the gospel get Jesus. The person who goes to the shop and buys a lotto ticket and wins millions and millions of dollars doesn't spend their days regretting that they didn't pick up the 10 cent coin that was outside the store. That's what it's like in Christ. You're never going to miss out. When you understand the grandeur and the length of what is to come, everything now is a blip. Everything now is a 10 cent coin. Paul wants to lift our vision and show us that the only thing that should define our lives should be the only thing that actually does define our lives. And that is the fact that after this short time on earth, there is going to come an infinite future where everything is made right. It's an endless time of perfection where we'll be given dazzling bodies and where we'll be in perfect reconciled harmony with God and we'll have unending satisfaction. The present form of this world is passing away. The future form of this world is on its way. It's called the new heavens and the new earth. And though there is pain and disappointment and unmet expectations in this life, we have awaiting for us an inheritance that is far beyond anything we could ever imagine. This is why we sang that song this morning. The earth shall soon dissolve like snow, the sun forbear to shine, but God who called me here below will be forever mine. That's what we sing this morning. That's what we sing as Christians. And that there, God, secure for us, forever mine, that is secure for us. It's not secure for us because we're really clever. It's not secure for us because we're married. It's not secure for us because we're single. It's not secure for us because we're very good. That there is secure for us because of the grace of God who sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for his bride, the church. See, if you're a Christian, if you're trusting in Jesus Christ to be saved, then God 
has written your name in his will alongside the name of Jesus Christ. If you look up the will of God, the will, the will and testament, it's going to see Jesus Christ there and Nadia Kaspar and Wayne McFetteridge. It's going to say, it's going to have our names written there. Our future destiny is secured not by what we have done, but what Christ has done for us. And that's not true if you're not a Christian. If you're here and you're not a Christian, that's what's on offer for you. That's what's on offer for you. If you're a Christian, then your eternity has already been determined by the perfect life, the substitutionary death, the spectacular resurrection, the very surprising ascension, and the incredibly comforting intercession of Jesus who sits at the right hand of God right now, advocating on our behalf every moment of every day. And the Bible is teaching us here, don't lose sight of that. Why? Because when our eyes drift from that to our marital status or lack thereof, or to anything else for that matter, anything else that might make a claim to the throne of our hearts, we'll end up being divided in our devotion to the Lord. The goal here for all is undivided devotion to the Lord. Paul says this in verse 35, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. There's much more that we could say about this. There's a lot more needed for this conversation. I know that. But what I'd like to end with today is a bit of a vision of what this looks like in our church. Here are three practical things that each of us can do. Firstly, be content. Whether you're married or single, be content. Discontentment is not a problem for single people only. It's an issue for all people. We need to be content with what God has called us to. Now, I'm aware that contentment is a bit of a dirty word for our world. But if we can see just how great Jesus is and what we have in him, contentment becomes straightforward. My vision for this church is that we would be a church that is radically content with what God has called each one of us to do. Now, this doesn't mean that if you're single that you shouldn't pursue a relationship or pray for one. You should do that. But pursuing marriage with a heart that is content in Jesus is the difference between someone who wants marriage for what it says about God and someone who wants marriage for what it says about them. So firstly, be content. Secondly, seek out what God has called you to do and lean into it. Now, this is applicable in many more areas than just our romantic lives, but for some of us, it's been a very long time since we've said to God, God, what are you calling me to do with my life? Lean into the calling with which you have been called. Some of you here are single, and God might be calling you to embrace singleness as a gift from him to bless others. How do you know if you've been called to singleness? I honestly don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. But if you'd permit, I would love to be able to walk that journey with you, with God in prayer. I don't know what that looks like, but I'm really willing to walk that through with you. Some of us here are married, and we must ask, what does it look like to utilize my marriage to bless those around me? And again, I would be really blessed to help you answer that question if you're not sure what that looks like. Seek out what God has called you to do and lean into it. 
Finally, embrace the family of God now as a picture of the family of God that is to come. Life can be incredibly difficult for a single person in the church. And I despise the fact that it is. But I'm not going to try and pretend that it isn't. On that day when Christ returns, the family of God is going to be the most diverse and wonderful gathering of people ever assembled in history. And we're not going to be separated into our demographics. We're not going to be divided up into to sit with the same group of people that is like us. So what if now, as a testimony of what is to come, the church was a place where we didn't just hover in our own demographics? What if the church enacted the diversity of the eternal family to come with a willingness to do life with those who aren't like us? You could have someone over for dinner who doesn't look like you, who doesn't fit into your world. You could grab coffee with someone who is different to you. This is why we say often our life groups aren't organized demographically, they're organized geographically or even conveniently. Like, when are you available? Tuesday nights? Cool, go to the one on Tuesday night. We don't have one on Tuesday nights, that's why I picked that one. One of my favorite, probably if you were to ask me, what, Jimmy, what's one of your highlights from this year so far? Life group four weeks ago. I think it was four weeks ago, maybe it was six weeks ago. Bob and Lee came for the first time. Uh, Bob and Lee are on the more experienced end of life, if I could say that gently. They're in their 70s. And when Bob and Lee got there, for whatever reason, they went and found our kids and said, what are you playing? And my son, Banjo, who's four, was playing Lego, and he was like, I'm playing Lego. And so Lee said, can I play Lego with you? And there's this moment where Lee, who was in her 70s, was playing Lego with Banjo, who was four. There's no other reason for them to be together other than our Savior, Jesus Christ, (laughs) right? Like, that's a beautiful, wonderful picture of what this looks like. What if the church was a place where we didn't just separate ourselves into young marrieds, older marrieds, people with kids, people without kids, people who were born in September, people who were born in spring, people who, you know, whatever it is. What if we actually went, no, the thing that unites us together is actually Jesus Christ. So it doesn't actually matter whether you're married or not, not or whatever it is. Unity and community in life together, hey, that's easy when we stick with our own groups. But what if the church looked different to that? What if we saw that what Christ was willing to do for us, to come and lay down his life for us, what if that determined how we treated one another? My vision for this church is that we would look radically different to the world around us because we know that this life is a blip. This life is a 10 cent coin and there is an extraordinary eternal life to come. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Centre Church located on the Sunshine Coast. We exist to make, mature and multiply disciples and communities that depend upon, declare and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. We provide our podcast free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others. But please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC.